Co-host Paul Molinari and I'm Benjamin Farnoli. Today we are recording in person at our brand new the brand studio. new studio. Guys, come check us out. Should ben, we drop the address? I mean, that could be that could be for the meet and greet. But yeah, exactly. right now, Ben, I want to talk about real estate. Okay, can you tell me about the experience you've had with real estate so far? Yeah, so I've I've been looking into real estate. I've been trying to get my father to get into real estate. I've been pushing him. Um, I think everything I own so far is all paper assets, and I'm looking to get into something uh, fungible and tangible. Uh, so real estate is obviously the natural jump. And so I've been looking at how to get into that. Yeah, so I was looking at real estate versus the stock market, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm a big stock guy. I right. love it. But why, after a certain amount of time in the stock market, would you start to pump money into real estate, a completely different sector of the economy? Yeah, so I think one nice thing about real estate is you're buying a solid asset, right? Regardless of what happens, you're still able to hold on to your asset. You have like a physical building. I think with stocks, if the company goes out, like company goes bankrupt or something like that, uh, you can lose like 100% of your value. Another proposition is that you are able to add more avenues of value to a real estate investment than you are to stock. With stock, the only value you're actually adding is your money. But when it comes to real estate, you're able to add value with your money and also another thing. So if you do some of your property maintenance, now you're increasing your return rates. There's just there's several other like avenues of value that you can add that you couldn't add when it comes to stocks. Yeah, so so in a way, it's a it's a material good. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with with roofing and plumbing, of course, and utilities that you have to pay, would you consider, uh, you know, after buying a property, renting it out to to pay the uh, bills seasonally? Yeah. So that's that's pretty much the main uh, type of thing that I'd, I'd like to do. I have very little interest in buying a property and holding it and looking for uh, increase in property values. I think I kind of joke that this is the only kind of free money, which it's not really free because there's so much work you have to do behind it. But buying a property. And then renting it out. I mean, you're paying the mortgage. You're you're just getting you're building equity there, but then you're getting the rent in, and so you're really getting somebody to build equity for you, and that's that's really what I'm interested in. Right. Would you ever consider uh, investing in a real estate ETF or or company through the stock market? Because mm-hmm. again, you know those those companies they don't they don't have plumbing expenses. You have to pay roofing that you're going to have to fix. Would you consider that? Yeah. So I think that what dissuades me there is that when you buy a house, you're able to get a mortgage and you're able to invest, I mean, five times. If you, you get a HO, what is it? Uh, whatever the federal government backed loan is, you're able to get almost 20, 20x your money in investable uh, assets. With stock, you're not able to do that. Even if you borrow on margins or you borrow money to invest in stock, you'll never get the same kind of terms that you would in a house. So you're able to leverage a lot more money when it comes to a house than you would with stocks. I, I'd have to agree with you there. Ben, I, moving forward, uh, speaking about diversifying your assets, I want to talk about crypto again. Okay. So you and I have a lot of discussions about Bitcoin, mm-hmm. which is currently down into the 20s as Bitcoin, we record Bitcoin this. Bitcoin took a dip this morning. You were Correct. trying to call it a crash. No crash. No crash. No crash. I mean... If you look over time, I, I guess, yeah, it's just a dip. But would you consider putting more money in right now? Because I always hear you talking. You have 
big predictions for Bitcoin in the future. Yeah, right after this, I'm going to put some more money in. I'll right. tell you that. I'll tell you, I put more money in this morning. Okay. So I, I mean, I, I hit the ball. I hit hit the ball. Uh, Let's when talk I saw about it. that because so, I hear I heard you put more money in, but relative to your portfolio, it's still very small. Yeah. So What's I your, treat, I want to hear about your hesitancy with Bitcoin. So I, it's not necessarily hesitancy. It's that. Man, I, I'm not a crypto expert. Mm-hmm. I'm an 18 year old kid. So what I want to do is I want to have a, a diversified portfolio. So I want to treat Bitcoin as one of maybe 20 stocks that I have in my portfolio, and I, I think that's the safe way to do it. You know, I I don't treat it as an entire sector of the economy, uh, like it is. I treat it as another uh, stock that I'm putting money into. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's actually I have less in there than I do most of my other investments, um, because it's it's relatively new to me. Uh, we've grown up uh, seeing the, these these Bitcoin crazes. We've seen it go up and down, um, and you know I, I I do think just like you that it'll increase in value in the future. Uh, but I've heard you say some very interesting things about about changing the way that we look at currency and the way that we buy goods. Uh, can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah. So I think my my big uh, kind of change that I had. If you look back to the first episode, I was like the anti crypto saying that it's based on nothing. But hmm. I took 10 seconds of thought. I mean, the next logical step, I said, well, what is the U.S. dollar based on, right? We're not based on the gold standard anymore. So what really gives our U.S. dollar value? Trust in the U.S. government. Okay, we can go with that. But now you look at the Fed and uh, the monetary policy uh, kind of group uh, manipulating our currency. And you say, all right, well, do we really trust those guys or do we trust the people more? And so that's kind of the question I've been asking. And I think people are getting sick and tired of the Fed manipulating things. Like we're, we're, we need a crash in our economy. Our business cycle has been avoiding the, tro- the tropes for so long. We need that crash and they keep pushing it off. It's only going to get worse and worse. I think once that comes, people are going to turn to crypto because they're going to be like, we don't want the Fed screwing around with our money anymore. We want to be the ones controlling the price of our money. Right. And I think that's the big argument for crypto. What was really compelling to me, Ben, was, was uh, no capital gains tax. You know, it's 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 completely separate from the government. I can buy and sell crypto on the weekends while I'm at school, or you know, sometimes while I'm sleeping, you can place mm-hmm. limits and and such. I Ben use Robinhood, and I know that you don't like Robinhood. I'm wary. I don't use it. So you know, I don't use it for for the majority of my investments. But when it comes to things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and you know, maybe thing maybe things like Dogecoin that mm-hmm. that I'll you know be in for one week. Uh, I think Robinhood is in for the long haul, and I think there are so many millennials invested in it. I don't see it stopping in the next ten years. But why have you avoided Robinhood? Yeah, so I guess I'm just I'm just weary of kind of what they did with the the whole uh, retail trading GameStop thing. It just doesn't give me a lot of trust in their institution. When it comes, there's so many places you can go out and buy Bitcoin. I'd like to find one that I'm confident won't screw around with my money the same way that the Fed right. does, right? Because that's what I'm trying to avoid. And so that's really where my my hesitation comes from. Right. So speaking of the Fed, we, we talk about government power in the economy all the time. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of people uh, majoring in economics going, I want to work at the UN, Ben. Yeah. You know, I want to have a job in, in a big governmental organization. Can you tell us a little about the UN? Because I remember you were a chair in one of the committees, right? Oh, yeah. In Model UN. Let's in Model UN. Model UN. UN Model UN. UN. Same, UN. same difference. Whatever. Right. What's and, you know, they both have the they same, they have the same amount power, of power, right? right? Yeah. So, so can you tell me... Um, can you tell me what the UN does and, and what kind of effect they, they can have on our lives going forward? Yeah, so there is talk right now about kind of a universal tax. They were talking about that at the G7 meetings. Um, and so the, the UN's role in that is probably very, very loose. The UN only gets their power from recommendation. And really what that means is they get their power from the participation of other countries. 
Um, so unless a strong country like the United States or another Western country is really backing something, it's not going to happen. Um, and so I think the, I don't know what else I want to say. Give me a second. We'll cut this part, but let me mm-hmm. second think. So yeah, a lot of their power just comes from recommendation and that's where they really run into problems because it's not really fully democratic when your your vote is really based on how much power you have. Yeah, so I mean obviously the UN could say something uh to our government, the United States government and we don't have to do anything, do we? Absolutely not. I mean, no. is Israel and Palestine uh have have had so many conflicts over the years and the UN has been has been very I mean I wouldn't say involved they've tried to be involved over the years um and I I believe you know decades ago they were um but they didn't really help and and I I kind of have to you got to think you know what kind of advisement can they give us that we would would see as valuable instead of our own government making making decisions on who we vote for and that's and, really the problem that i see yeah. there because uh, i mean don't get me wrong i think the goals of the united nations are so noble right their goals for sustainable right. development are very great goals and i think they're goals that as a country we should be like trying to reach uh it's just it kind of gets stuck in like this this very thick field of bureaucracy because these are these are ideas that each nation should be adopting individually and that each nation should be voting on within their countries. It shouldn't be coming from some large organization made up of unelected representatives, right? I didn't elect my representative to the United Nations right. for the U.S. That's not how that works. Mm-hmm. And and I want to talk about, uh, uh, since the U.N. is, is kind of international, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we got to touch up on globalism and how it affects our economy. Mm-hmm. Ben, Bitcoin took off and it was banned in India and... I mean, how did it make it all the way across the world so fast? And you got to think with all of this connection, uh, you know, our economy is kind of going 10 years at, at a time. You know, we're, we're going 10 years in one. Uh, how, do you think that changes uh, the way uh, investing is going to be forever? Do you think that uh, this fast paced, you know, pump and dumps are going to be prominent in the future? Yeah, so I wouldn't call Bitcoin a fast-paced pump and dump, but I'll say I am well, a big. I would other, describe other things myself pump as, a, dumps, as a, like GameStop. Right. Yeah. I would describe myself as a big globalist, like a, a proponent of free trade. This was one of my biggest criticisms towards the Trump administration: is they were protectionists, right? They were anti-free trade. They Based. wanted to. They wanted to keep. Uh, they they say they wanted to keep American manufacturing jobs here, but in the long term, that hurts our economy because now we are inefficient at manufacturing. Right. That's an objective statement. We're good at skilled right. manufacturing. But basic manufacturing, we're inefficient at it. It makes more sense for us to have another country do it and allocate our resources to a higher level of economic Mm. uh, yield. Right. I would see. I would understand a Tesla factory in the United States. Right. You know, I I wouldn't understand uh, a factory that works with basic plastics. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's also one of the things that worries me. We import China's single-use plastics, and they put our cars, phones, electronics. Mm -hmm. You know, things that have more valuable. you know, uh, more valuable use. And, uh, you know, do you think, do you think over time that could give them too much of an edge? Because in my opinion, I I feel that China is a very dangerous government, right? Russia is a very dangerous government. They have very, uh, imperialist values. Uh, and we see that with conflicts in the oceans, Taiwan, uh, and you know, that, that worries me. Does it, does that worry you at all? Yeah. And I think, I think that's more of a matter of personal finance, right? Americans are choosing to spend their money on not amazing things like nobody's forcing americans to go buy all these chinese products we choose to because that's what our interests lie that's where our interests lie 
And so I think it makes more sense for to for us to educate the population on what are smart financial moves and what aren't. Because it really doesn't make sense for us to be spending money on knickknacks instead of investing in assets, right? Mm. And I think the Chinese population is very good with that. They're very responsible with their money, the same way that the Chinese go- uh, government is. They're they're very smart in what they invest their money and how they manipulate their currency. And I think I think we should really take a note from them on what they're doing with their personal finance. The way China's uh, economic manipulation affects us is what ends up happening is it's cheaper for us to go buy their goods, right. but it's more expensive for the Chinese to come buy our goods. Right. So it creates that trade deficit, trade deficit right? Yeah. This artificial trade deficit. Because we're going and we're buying a ton of stuff from them. We're pumping a ton of money over to their country, but they're not pumping the same back because our products are more expensive than them. One, one thing I want to bring up with you, uh, Paul, is Biden's tax policy, right? We're coming out with some new some new things because they started off saying that nobody, under, nobody making under $400,000 a year will see an increase in taxes. But now we see that they're talking about taxing capital gains and changing the capital gains tax. And so the statistic I heard this morning was that out of, I think it's 75% of people making 75000 to 100000 have money in the stock market. So they are collecting capital gains. So the reality is people making that amount of money are going to be affected by this new tax. And their taxes are going to be increased under the Biden policy. So I wanted, I wanted to hear your thoughts. Well, look, I mean, this goes back to the... Uh, uh, George H.W. Bush quote, no new taxes. Read my lips. You remember right. it. And Love guess it. what he did? He raised taxes. Never believe mm-hmm. a politician, Ben, when they tell you that they're not going to raise your taxes. Right. Never count that into your vote when they tell you they're not going to raise your taxes. Because the truth is, when... when that, that was, I'll say, with, that yeah. was one of the nice things about Obama. He was very clear. He's like, I'm going to raise your taxes. Right. He didn't beat around the bush. I like that about him. And that, and that was very different. That was, that was, a, that was a new strategy. And, mm-hmm. and you it know, worked. he won his race. Uh, and you know the the economics of that are debatable, but he was he won over the people, mm-hmm. and 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 that's just how it went. But uh, I I never never believe a politician when they say they're not going to raise my taxes, and it always comes in it, it always comes through in some sort of way. You know, mm-hmm. maybe they didn't maybe they didn't uh, raise the income tax right, but it comes through with with the prices on your goods. Uh, you know, Canada, you go and you have to pay extra for every good you buy. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to go get food at the mall like we did on our class trip and we had to pay extra because they have uh, universal health care. Right. So it always it always comes down in some sort of way or maybe they'll make it gradual. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know. And, you know, someday they could come out and say, you know what, we're going to have to raise the income tax because we want to pay for these new benefits. Yeah, they, you know? yeah, I mean, like Mr. Portel says in economics, right. Right? there's no such thing as a free lunch. Great, all great teacher, new, great teacher. All these new, pro- yeah, yeah, very, he's our economic economics teacher, favorite teacher. There's no such thing as a free lunch. All these new proposed uh, programs that Biden wants to initiate are going to cost something. And so either he's going to have to raise taxes or he's going to have to increase the deficit, which COVID already destroyed. So it's very not it's not very smart. But we're, that's that's going to get unstable. And then that has its own consequences in the long run. So all these programs have some cost somewhere, regardless right. of if you have to pay now or we're going to pay 10 years from now or five years from now when things come crashing down. Right. There's there's no way to simply just get that money exclusively from the top 1%. Mm-hmm. I mean, the top 1% uh, have their own game of avoiding certain taxes. You know, kind of like when we talk about crypto, avoiding that ta- capital gains tax on our investments. Um, you know, I I. I don't think it's possible. And, and the truth is, presidents running for office time and again like to use this. The rich will pay their fair share. That's how we're going to pay for it. It doesn't work that way, Ben. And, and I think that majority of Americans understand that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I both understand that. But I think it's important that our listeners understand that because, you know, we're all, we're all going to have to vote. You're 18. I'm 18. Well, you, here's a very interesting thing. It comes down to, like, what is your fair share, right? And this right. is something you and I have talked about off the podcast. But it's it's like, man, did did 
did a rich person really use like more at more of the government resources than right. a poor person? Man, I don't think so. Like, right. if you want to say everybody pays their fair share, to me that sounds like we should everybody should pay an equal nut. Like everybody should just get a bill for ten thousand dollars at the end of the year. Right. So this is your taxes. This is your fair share of participating in the government. Right, right. participating in our country. Which I, that's not necessarily what I support. But it's like if you're going to say that like everybody should pay their fair share. Uh, like really think about what that means because I don't think it means the top paying ninety percent, right? And and you know, let's say you pay two hundred fifty k in taxes. You know, are you getting that money back? Are you getting that back from the government through benefits? You know, right. I think it, it depends on you know what what uh, how much are these benefits worth to you? And I think uh, you know I, I, when people say fair share, if you, it, I, and I, I I totally respect people who go you know what it's it's not fair. But that's what I want to do in order to to accomplish my agenda of providing certain benefits that well, I need. You know, I mean, it, there, it just goes into you know what is protecting people's liberty is is healthcare part of your liberty? Well, um, there's an argument to mm-hmm. saying that like it, it's a social obligation and that's a social good. Right. Like if you look at it from a utilitarian point of view, you could make an argument for a ninety percent tax. Right. If you, that's not how I look at things, right. but you could make an argument there. But if you're going to make the argument that everybody should pay their fair share, like you really got to think about what that actually right. means. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and obviously. People People are going to use rhetoric all the time. That's how they get votes. Right. Um, that's how people have gotten votes. But never believe a president who says, read my lips. No new taxes. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Once again, I'm your co-host, Paul Molinari. And I'm Benjamin Fargnoli. And this is us saying goodbye. See ya. Read my lips. No, no new taxes. <laughs> that was actually really good. That was a good point to bring up. I think that was a good closer, too. Oh, can you help me move? Yeah. I, can't, I can't get out of this. I understand.